Hey church, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today here on FC Radio. I hope this message encourages you in your walk of faith and helps you to become a better follower of Jesus. Check out our website at www.ferncreekcc.org and let us know how we can be praying for you. Here's the message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Welcome to those of you who are watching uh, and worshiping with us online. If you are looking for a church uh, full of a bunch of people who are learning what it means to be loved more by God so that we can in turn go and love more people like God, then you have found the right place. So if you're worshiping with us online, we would love to invite you to one of our three services. And if you're worshiping with us in person, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Hey, we are in week two of a series that we're calling All Grown Up, and we're navigating through the book of James. And James is such a great book to study because James talks about what it looks like to grow up spiritually. How do you move from the basics of faith, the kiddie pool of faith, down to the mature deep end of the swimming pool? And there are some really deep practical truth that we're going to be preaching on and teaching in our small groups. But there's also some great deep truth that you are reading about as you read individually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So I hope and pray that as you're reading in our, in our James guide that you will take time to underline and to highlight and to ask the Lord what he has for you each day of the week. So last week we talked about trials, trials. I mean, we, we, we talked about how, how shallow faith, how the kiddie pool of faith, how they look at, how, how, we, how I used to look at trials when I was young in the faith, that trials are something to avoid, that we, we don't want trial to come to us, that, that life is better when trial stays away from us. We like it when the skies are calm and the waves are small. But James says if you want to get down to the deep end of faith, your perspective of trials really needs to change. And James says when trial comes, don't avoid it, welcome it with joy. And we talked about, well, what does he mean? Well, when a trial comes into your life, one of the reasons to be joyful is it's a lantern that lowers down into the well of your soul and it exposes where you really stand with God. It highlights your strength. It reveals your weaknesses. So trials are welcome because it gives us an opportunity to look into the soul and to see what what normally we can't. And the other thing that James says that that trials do for us is they they strengthen us. Remember David said, "I, I took down the lion and the bear. Who's this giant? When God brings you through a little trial, he gears you up for a medium trial. And when God brings you through a couple of medium trials, he gears you up for a big trial. When God takes you through big trials, the giant trials are not that big of a deal. So so James says if you want to grow up spiritually, look at trials a lot differently. Well, today we enter James chapter 2, and James is going to talk about, you ready for this? He's going to talk about favoritism. Favoritism. Now, there are places in life where favoritism is fine. You, you can have your favorite food, you can go to your favorite restaurant, you can have a favorite team or a favorite movie, and that's all well and good. Um, when it comes to maybe soft drinks, maybe you have a favorite. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them what your favorite soft drink is? What is it? What's your favorite soft drink? 
Water, yeah. Now, when it comes to soft drinks, you got all kinds of people. Where are our Coca-Cola people? Any Coca-Cola fans out there? All right, that's a favorite. Any Pepsi people? Any Pepsi? Oh, boy. did you have a couple today? There's some Pepsi people. So, so you get, it, it's okay. It's okay to have your, your favorites. And I'm not saying that, that one has to be your favorite. Your favorite is your favorite. But there are other places where favorites probably don't do too well. Uh, parenting. <laughs> you, you better not have a favorite when you parent, right? Uh, coaching. Uh, if you have your favorite player as a coach, that's probably not too well. Teaching. Teaching is another one of those places where you don't want to play favorites, right? Not just because it's not right for you, it's not right for the kid. In my day, we had a name for the teacher's favorite. The teacher's pet. Yeah, yeah, the teacher's pet. And in my school, in my school, not only did we have a name for, for you if you were the teacher's favorite, teacher's pet, we had an initiation for you. It was called a wedgie. <laughs> And you got that after school, right? Now today we probably would have all been expelled and sent to sensitivity training, right? That's probably not the way you handle that. But it's, it's, it's not a good thing when you play favorites in some places. And James is going to talk about, there's another place where you shouldn't play favorites. Not only is it dangerous, it's divisive and it's sinful. So if you have your Bibles, look at James chapter 2, and let's go to verse 1, and let's see what James talks about, this dangerous place to play favorites. Verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show, what's the next word? Don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, into your worship, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and then a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention, you show favoritism to the man wearing fine clothes, and you say, here, have a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there, or you sit in the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Wow. There's a lot in here. J James senses in the early church that favoritism is taking place in worship, in the corporate gathering. And, and he gives one hypothetical. He says, suppose, you know, a, a really rich guy comes in to your church wearing a gold ring. Now, the, the English says he, he's got a gold ring. The, the Greek, you know what the Greek says? A man comes into your worship with a gold finger. The, the Greek says gold finger. So not just one ring, but a bunch of bling on that finger, right? So, so a real well-to-do guy comes in, and he's got a, you know, a lot of wealth, and he dresses really nice, and, and he comes into your corporate gathering, and then another man walks in, and he's got dirty clothes, and he's destitute, and maybe a little smelly. And, and, and James says there's lots of people in the church who would say, Mr. Goldfinger, Mr. Goldfinger, come and, and sit right here in the front row. And Mr. Stinky Pants, you go sit in the back, right? Go sit in the back. And James says, man, there are churches showing favoritism over how much money someone might drop in the plate. Because that's really why they're giving the rich man favor, is maybe, maybe he'll give some of that, that wealth to us. Well, and the poor man, he can't really give us anything, so let's, let's overlook him, right? 
And I'm so glad James addresses an issue that's happened just back in the ancient day. I mean, no church today would ever give special treatment to those who have lots of money, right? Yeah, no, no. I heard about a church secretary who picked up the phone uh, one afternoon and a very countrified voice was on the other end of the phone. And the voice said, I want to talk to the head hog at the trough. And she was taken back and she said, excuse me, sir? And he repeated, yeah, I want to talk to the head hog at the trough. And then she realized he wanted to speak to the pastor. And somewhat indignant, she said, sir, if you want to talk to our pastor, you, you will have to address him properly. You should call him pastor or brother, but you certainly can never refer to him as the head hog at the trough. Well, the man on the other end paused for a second in a very country drawl. He said, okay, you just, you just tell him I'd like to donate $100,000 to the church. She promptly paused and then quickly replied and said, could you hold please? I see the big pig walking in the door now. We, you know, the world, the, the world has always and will always judge and distinguish importance by wealth and by the social status that some people experience in, li in life. It's just a fact. That's how the world works. I mean, there is VIP parking, there's platinum status, and there's first class seating for certain people. If you look a certain way, if you act a certain way, if you make a certain amount of money, you get noticed. You get treated one way. And if you don't look and you don't act and you don't make, then, man, you are overlooked and you're pushed to the side. That's the way the world works it. But James says that's not to be the case with us. That is not to be how it works within the walls of the church. We don't treat wealthy, powerful, beautiful people one way and poor, weak, common folk another way. And if we do treat people differently because they live in this neighborhood or they drive this kind of car or they wear Lululemon skinny jeans, right? We are sinning, James says. Now let me just stop. James is not condemning wealth. Don't, don't, don't make that stretch. James is not poking or guilting folks who, who make a lot of money. What James is saying is, in the church, we don't give you a seat at the leadership table just because you have a lake house. We don't give you a parking space because you drive a Porsche. You don't get a backstage pass to meet Matt Zola because you tithe. Anybody can meet Matt Zola, right? So we don't distinguish, we don't pass judgment, we don't play economic favorites within the church. Now it's not just money where churches can play favorites. Churches can play favorites in lots of different ways. Some, some churches practice favoritism with those who look like them and talk like them and act like them. Well, if you look and talk and act like an insider, then we maybe show favoritism to you more than someone who doesn't. 
Let me show you where this happens in the Bible. In the book of Acts, a dispute arose that I think stemmed from favoritism that almost divided and broke the church. It's found in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 6. Let me show you what's going on. And you tell me whether or not you think favoritism was creeping into the church. Not economic, but because one group looked like the other. Look at Acts chapter 6 verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, now, now pause with me. You've read that. Uh, do you understand what's happening? The, the word rumblings in the Greek is murmur. You know, we always think in the modern day church that sometimes we mumble and grumble about church leaders. No, it, it was going on way back in the day. What was the grumbling about here? Well, there was a group of people who were getting together going, can you believe it? I, I mean, the church is sending the Hebrew-speaking Rebecca Abraham her meals on wheels, but they're overlooking the Greek-speaking Alexandra Sparates. They're not sending her a crumb. What goes with that? So, so, so there, were, there were a group of people who were like, this, this, this one group of widows is being favored over this group of widows. So, so here in the church, I, I think it's a sign of favoritism. Now, hopefully it was inadvertent. And I think a lot of our favoritism is inadvertent. Some of it's obvious. Some of it's blatant. But I, but I think a lot of times... Favoritism is leaked out inadvertently, and I think it was going on in the church. The Hebrew-speaking widows talked like the local church. The Hebrew-speaking widows probably looked like the local church. The Hebrew-speaking widows probably lived in, right around the corner from, from where the church was gathering. The Greek-speaking widows spoke a different dialect. They probably looked different. They probably lived farther out into the suburbs, right? And that was, there was a pecking order, and there was special treatment, and that was wrong. And here we see how a church can inadvertently show favoritism to those who look like them and speak like them and act like them. You know, the world system, the world system, again, how it works in the world, it always tries to creep into the church. Uh, a few years ago, I went to Boston, and I and, uh, wanted to had a conference up there, and so I took a day just to go sightseeing through the city. I love history. I stopped in the Old North Church, and you know, the church in, in Boston, probably the oldest church in Boston, but the Paul Revere Church, you know, where the land are one if by land, two if by sea, and it was, it was a really a historical, uh, just a, it was a G, perfect place to spend the day. But while I was in Old North, North Church, something really struck me funny, how the people used to sit in church. Do you know how people used to sit? They didn't sit in pews. They sat in what was called pew boxes. Take a look, pew boxes. Do we have the, do we have the slide of pew boxes coming? Maybe. They really look good. <laughs> there they are. There they are. Can you, can you see? These, these, they, they were cubicles. They were like five feet high walls, and they were kind of squared off, and, and every family had to pay a monthly, monthly rent, and then you had to pay a yearly maintenance fee for your, for your box. The boxes that were on the center aisle 
The boxes that were down front were a lot more money than the boxes in the back and on the sides. They, they, they just were a lot more money. And then you could custom, you could pay to have your box customized. If you like this or you like that, they would stick that in the box. Boxes were passed from one generation to the next. It sounds like tickets at Lambeau Field is what it sounds like. But that's, that's how they used to, to divide people in the church. And then if you look really closer at the pew box, you could see this next picture, a picture of a plaque where your name could be engraved onto your box so that everybody knew who sat where. Now, can you imagine James? Can you imagine James getting wind of that? And, and, and how that would have just sent him off the deep end. And I thank the Lord that we don't today have five-foot-high pew box walls, that they're gone from our churches. Or are they? We probably don't have physical walls that maybe separate us. But let me ask you a question. Do you sit in your same box every week? Do you know the names of those who sit outside your box? Do you fellowship with anyone other than your life group box? In your excitement to see your friends at church, do you overlook the visitor maybe sitting directly behind you? Look, as we connect with one another, as we encourage one another, as we're excited to see those that we know, may we never overlook those who are not like us, those who maybe not be in quote-unquote our group. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Let's talk about our group for a second. Look at Galatians 3, look at verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no, here Paul's going to say, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no slave, no free, no male, no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, our, our church is a beautiful, beautiful mosaic made up of brothers and sisters from around the globe. Do you realize the depth of our mosaic? We have folks from Kentucky, Argentina, Colombia, Cuba, Mexico, French Congo, and the country of Indiana. <laughs> we do. We speak French, Spanish, English, and hillbilly. Can I get a yeehaw? yeehaw? There you go, right there. We have people who grow up uh, in different spiritual backgrounds. We have Lutherans, former Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, Catholics. We have spiritual hybrids, Roman, Baptist, Methalutherans. You know, some people who've been a part of everything, right? We have people with no spiritual background. What? What a beautiful mosaic, each tile, each piece, so beautiful in this great mosaic. But sometimes when we walk into this building, it's kind of like we're back in high school, and we inadvertently show favor to the pieces that look like us and talk like us and dress like us and live around our little seats, you know? I, I was talking to Rich about this idea about pew boxes and not seeing people, maybe overlooking people. And he, he reminded me of a, of a great encounter that Jesus had in John chapter 4. You remember the story, Jesus is walking, and the boys are walking through Samaria, and they stop at a well. And while the boys go off to get lunch in the city, Jesus stays at the well, and a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. 
And you remember the Jews and the Samaritans, they, they hated one another. They couldn't stand one another. They thought that each, one, each other was the devil, right? And this Samaritan woman begins to draw water, and Jesus asks her for a drink, and they get into this discussion. How are you asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? You're a Jew. And, and Jesus begins to have this dialogue with her. And, 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 and no good rabbi would have ever talked to a Samaritan. No good rabbi would have ever talked to a Samaritan woman, but Jesus Jesus was able to see her, and, and as he begins this conversation with her, he, he explains about the Messiah, and he claims that he is the Messiah, and then he does a miracle. He tells her the things that no one in her life could have ever known, and she is so excited that she has encountered the Messiah that she gets up and she leaves. She passes the disciples who are coming out of town as she's running back into town, and as the disciples get to Jesus, they're a little concerned. Who is that woman you were talking to? And why were you talking to that Samaritan woman? And Jesus, Jesus kind of brushed that off. And then they brought him lunch. He says, I, you know, I'm not even hungry anymore. And as they're having this discussion, I don't know how long that took, this woman is late leading all the people of the village out to meet Jesus. And as she's leading all of these people and the disciples don't really quite get it, listen to what Jesus says about seeing other people. Look at John chapter 35. I'm going to ask you to play Bible detective with me, so hang with me. You know the story. Here's what Jesus says as the Samaritans are walking towards him. He says, I tell you the truth. He says, I tell you the truth. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, maybe you've always known that scripture, but maybe you've not known the context to where that scripture was. So, so here's what I want you to do. Play Bible detective. Here's the first question. Who was Jesus talking to when he said, open your eyes? Turn to your neighbor. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the disciples when he said, open your eyes. Next question is, what was the field that was ripe for harvest? Who's coming towards him? The Samaritans. So, so, so do you understand what Jesus is saying? I think Jesus was gently chiding the disciples. I think he was reminding them there are no second-class citizens in heaven. Every person is a VIP. Every person is eligible for platinum status. I think Jesus may have been saying, boys, when you walked into town, did you see did you acknowledge, did you invite, did you love, did you speak to, did you reach out to those who are not like you, or did you just stay in your little pew box? Are you playing favorites? Are there still insiders and outsiders to you guys? Jesus had no favorites, and he loved everyone equally. As a matter of fact, what I love about the ministry of Jesus is Jesus often stopped and took time for people who were overlooked. Jesus often stopped. And think about all the people that he paid attention to that maybe, maybe weren't like him. I mean, the blind man, the, 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 the lepers. Jesus was very, very um, determined to look for people, to go after people, to speak to people, to talk to people, to heal people that were different than him. And may God give us the eyes of Jesus to show favor to those who may not look, speak, or act like we do. Several years ago, a young college student named Bob gave his life to Jesus while he was on college campus. Bob was a very, very free-spirited young man. I mean, he wore tattered jeans, 
He wore a cut-off T-shirt, long, scraggly hair, and he never wore shoes. Walked around. I mean, in the college environment, that was acceptable. And when he became a Christian, it was a lonely place, and, and, and no one really reached out to Bob. So Bob decided that he needed to find a church, so he found a church right on the edge of campus. Now, Bob had no way of knowing that the church that he chose <laughs> was totally not like the way he rolled. This was no free spirit, comfortable jeans kind of church. Uber conservative, upper crust, sang with an organ, read from the King James, very formal, very traditional, kind of very uppity kind of church. And Bob walked into church one Sunday morning for the first time, right during the second hymn. Now, it was packed that day in this little church. So he stood in the back, and he, he tried to see seats. There was no seats to be found. So he just walked down the center aisle, no shoes, tattered jeans, long hair, went to the front row and just kind of looked around. Nobody was, no, no seats available. So you know what he did? He just sat down cross-legged right there on the front. No shoes and all, propping his feet up right on the steps. And everybody in the church is singing with their mouths open going, what just walked in the door? And then all of a sudden, their eyes were transfixed to uh, one of the old ushers, one of the guys who had been there a long time. This guy was old. He had been friends with Moses. He was that old, right? Like 85 or something, you know. And, and this guy had a cane, and he went walking down the aisle. And everybody's like, what is going to happen next? And he got down to the young man put his hand on the young man's shoulder, dropped his cane, and with all the energy he could muster, with great difficulty, sat down on the floor right beside him. And the music had stopped, and his hearing was a little bad, so he spoke loud enough for everybody to hear. I don't know if he intended that or not, but he said, I'm so glad you're here. Do you mind if I worship with you today? And then as the pastor took to the pulpit, preacher said to the congregation, the sermon I'm about to preach to you, you will never remember. But what you have just seen here today, you will never forget. And can, can we all agree? Can, can we all pledge that whenever anyone walks into our church, man, we, we will not favor we will not judge. We will not let appearance, skin color, language differences, political differences, past history create any kind of wall that would divide us. And as you sit in church, may you speak to your friends, but may you also be aware of those around you. And, and, and one of the things that you and I can do is just, I know, I know this virus has made it tough, and I know we wear these masks, and I can't tell if you're smiling or frowning at me. But I can tell it in your eyes. And, and, and how about looking for those who are different than us? And, and how about just a, a, look, I don't care what language you speak, everybody knows hello. And everybody knows a wave. And that smile does show in your eyes. You, you, you want to go a little deeper than that, what would it be like if you just approached someone that maybe you not not met, you don't know, and say, do you mind if I sit with you today? I'd love to worship with you. Oh, what a church that would be. Let's learn to love everyone equally. Let's go out of our way, as James says, to show favor to all. Let me pray for us.